You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Seeking Excellence Podcast. This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, as usual. Happy to be with you today. And we're going to be talking about some mother love and physical excellence. And I'm excited to talk about this because I think it's really important. And fitness and um, all of this has played an incredibly important role in my life. And honestly, this was one of the ones, even when I, if you go way back, so if you listen to What's the Best Way to Live, you're crushing it, you're a Seeking Excellence listener, you've been going through the whole solo episode series. You're like, I kind of hate this guy, but he kind of speaks the truth. I get that. I feel where you're coming from, right? But uh, if you go back to what is the best way to live, you know, as I was kind of on this journey towards the seven pillars, I made a, pre- a brief pit stop, um, as many Catholics do, I think, in the kind of mind-body-soul approach. And I was like, yo, this mind-body-soul approach that I'm hearing the church allegedly speaks to um, and that our church leaders are supposed to allegedly be living by is very disregarded. And what's the most disregarded, especially when I was looking at some of these seminarians or the leaders of the seminary? Oh, the fitness part, the body part. Yeah, they're all about the intellectual learning. They're all about some prayer time and getting the daily mass. But these mofos is big, dog. So they were, you know, you just had some overweight guys. And I'm talking overweight monsignors, you know, priests at different stages. And it's like, for me as a young dude who's an athlete and I was an ROTC, I was very fit. I wanted to be even more fit. And those were the guys I looked up to were the guys who were fit. Now you could say, oh, you know, I get into these debates with people all the time because I know this is a hotter take. Oh, uh, it shouldn't be about your physical appearance. You shouldn't have to be pretty or swole or in shape to be uh, a spiritual leader or whatever. Fair enough. I agree with that. I don't think you got to be, you know, aesthetically perfect to be a spiritual leader. But I'm not going to sit here and say it doesn't help. I'm not going to sit here and say that it's not beneficial. I'm not going to sit here and say that if I had to pick a chastity speaker for my kids to hear and I had to choose between an obese guy or a fit guy, I would choose the fit guy. And there's a number of reasons for that. But this is just getting down to some of the stuff that I feel like the church doesn't like to talk about. And this was true back when I was in college, too, is people didn't want to address this and acknowledge this fact that people cared what you look like. And that's just the world we live in. And sure, and we're going to get into some of this today, where we have body positivity and people who look like absolute circus freaks out there running around the world making your coffee and going to college, right? But um, by and large, the people who are interested in faith 
still care that you look like a, a normal person, that you take care of yourself, that you're legit, right? That that that, that word legit kind of is, is is something that we used to use all the time. And it's like, yeah, I want to be like a legit dude. I want to look up to him. He's a legit dude. What does that mean? That means he's a guy who got his shit together more or less, right? And you're striving to get your shit together and you um, care about your life, right? And one of the easiest ways I can tell if you care about your life or if you don't is if, um, yeah, if you take care of your body. I think that's a that's a big way to kind of um, note it and, and kind of tell. And again, it doesn't mean you have to be an absolute 10. It doesn't mean that you have to be deadlifting 500 pounds because there's different forms of fitness, which we'll get into today. It can take a lot of different avenues and there's different styles and different ways to go about it. And people are drawn to different things within the, the world of fitness. But you can't just be a fat slob. I mean, like, think of two of the deadly sins, right? Sloth and gluttony have to do with being fat. That's a pretty big deal. It's two of seven. Two of seven. I can't think of it. I mean, maybe you could say like greed and envy in the financial pillar. I was like, I can't. It's hard to think of another pillar other than maybe the spiritual one, because they all affect the spiritual one, obviously, that uh, th- that has two that basically are, are because of that pillar, <laughs> two deadly sins, man. That's a pretty big deal. So we're going to get into all this today. I'm going to give you some breakdown, some practical things about physical excellence. We're going to first start with kind of why physical excellence, why does any of this matter? And even before that, we're going to kind of go into the context of the world that we currently live in. That, as you know, does not um, encourage or help you really to be uh, not fat. And so we'll talk about all of that and much more today in Seeking Excellence with Nathan Crankfield. But first, I want to tell you about locals. So I'm going to talk about this constantly. My goal, my first goal is to hit 100 members in our locals channel. So you can go to seekingexcellence.locals.com. You can join us for free. All of my content currently on there is for free. Supporting is an optional thing. But if you are somebody who enjoys my rants on Instagram, if you enjoy, um, you know, just follow me on social media, the things that I post, things I can talk about, I can talk about anything on locals. So locals doesn't have the restrictions. So like I did my, um, I did my, uh, uh, weekly roundup this past Friday, first time on there on locals live stream. And the more members I have, the more frequently I can live stream and the longer duration I can live stream for. And so that's why I need you to go and join for free. It's one of the best things you can do for the podcast. The other free thing you can do to give back to the podcast is to leave us an, a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. Really, really appreciate those who have left a review so far. That really helps us to up in the rankings and to get more exposure to other people who are looking to grow in their personal life. And we're trying to reach more people. I want to reach more Protestants. I want to reach more secular people. So we can show them that when faith and reason are applied to everyday life, this is the best way to live. And so I encourage you to come over there on Locals. You're going to see me posting reflections on daily mass readings to random things that are happening in the church or in politics to um, like this. this Yesterday, we just released our um, uh, board meeting document. And so if you wonder, you listen to the episodes of me and Emily talking about how we meet each week. I released that document on there. I released our uh, book club document. books for the for the year and i'm gonna start reviewing the books that i read last year kind of giving you like a top five top ten list and then breaking down my thoughts on each one of those um my friend uh tori slayman uh did that recently on her blog for all the books she read last year i thought that was really cool and so i want to do something similar to that and all of that will be posted on locals i'm posting a little bit on instagram after exodus 90 i'll be back on instagram for sure but i'm still going to post the majority of my longer form thoughts and things that i want to discuss as a community as a group on locals. So join us there. All right. So 
if you remember, uh, anti-excellence, I don't even know how long ago this episode came out, but it, I did this kind of like anti-excellence, the life of mediocrity, right? So basically the, the concept behind that was what are, you know, we have these seven pillars of excellence. What does life look like if you do just coast, if you do just kind of drift along and allow your life to um, become whatever, you know, the kind of average American, the average Westerner is currently living. And I did research on all the different seven pillars. And one of the most astounding or shocking for me was the physical one. So in 20, uh, I'm going to read some of the stats here. Basically, just going to read this, this whole paragraph that I have here for, it's a short paragraph, on physical health. So it says, in 2017 to 2018, prevalence of obesity was 42.5%. From 2000 to 2018, it increased from 30.5% to 42.5%. So in 18 years, we saw, what is that quick math, a 40% increase in obesity amongst adults. Obesity-related conditions include heart disease, diabetes, and certain cancers that are some of the leading causes of preventable death. The estimated annual cost of obesity in the U.S. was, drumroll please, $147 billion damn dollars. The damn was not in there. I don't even know what this is quoting from. I forget uh, my resources down at the bottom. I'll put that in the show notes. Um, but I did add the damn there. $147 billion in 2008. So that was that was in the middle of this. That was in the middle of this 40% increase in obesity over less than a 20-year period of time. We were racking up $150 billion to, of annual cost. The medical cost for obese people was $1,429 higher than those of healthy weight. 40% of adults aged 20 to 39 are obese. Listen to that last one. 40% of adults in their physical prime of their life are obese. That is a problem. Now, I do concede to you that I think, I mean, man, since I was like a senior in college, at least for my first year in the army, I was kind of in the obese camp because I was, you know, if you're going off BMI. So I, I, I do grant you some leeway that BMI scale can be a little bit off especially for those of us who are, you know, thicker athletes. So I was like, I mean, man, when I was going into ranger school, I was like 207, 205 kind of. And yeah, I was running five miles in 35 minutes. I was, you know, benching, deadlifting. I was in shape, dude. Um, and then even when I was in Afghanistan, I was deployed. I was like back squatting. I think I got up to like 385. I never cracked 400, which haunts me still. Um, and I, I didn't have incredible numbers, but I had good numbers, especially for someone who still had to like stay in decent running shape. Um, but I was like 225 of the six pack, you know, and that's obese according to the the BMI scale. And so I get that. Like that's they're, they're mildly inflated, but 40%, 40%, dude. You know, if you if you follow any like health accounts and stuff on Instagram, you'll see them constantly pointing back to the 1960s and 70s where you see people on the beach and it's just everybody's thin. Or you see these pictures of just people in society in the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, and everybody was thin. I mean, it was very, very rare to have a fat person. Even in the history of the world, obviously, before capitalism and freedom, individual rights, everybody was skinny mostly because of poverty, right? They just didn't have the choices and things to eat. Now, we live in what I often refer to as the best time to be alive ever. I think we have the best comforts. We have the best access to things. And so we should be peaking in all of these seven pillars, right? We should be 
it's easier than ever to be excellent in all of them because we have so many resources and things available to us. Now, the difficult thing with that and what makes this one of the hardest times to be alive is that as our access and resources and things that we have available to us has increased, so has the temptation and the um, opposition increased, right? And opposition, I don't just mean by people who are actively standing against you and don't want you to be excellent, that don't want you to be fit and healthy. I also mean just like capitalism has provided us with many more options, which is a beautiful thing and awesome many times, but it also makes it difficult, right? We, we, don't, we have a lot of desk jobs. We're very sedentary now. That's a great thing. Our life expectancy is much longer for it. Uh, I mean, maybe not. You could say that you could argue against that in certain ways. But I, I still think it's better than us working 16-hour days on the farm, right? Or coal mining and things like that, where your life expectancy was like 40 years of age. And so we, we have a lot of benefits from this, but then we have to be a lot more intentional, right? I have to be active to get up. I have to invest in the standing desk so I'm not just sitting on my fat ass all day. And I have to get up and walk my dog in the middle of the day after I eat and have to actively choose to go to the gym or else I am literally not going to sweat today. Those are the two options. Either I don't sweat today or I have to physically go to the gym or physically go outside and run when the high today I think is like 24 degrees. So those are some shitty options to an extent. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And you have all this food, right? They didn't have to, they, 200 years ago, they didn't, they didn't have Oreos, man, right? They couldn't just stock their freezer full of ice cream. They didn't have delicious Eggo waffles for breakfast and Frosted Flakes, God's gift to man. You know, uh, I mean, they weren't just cooking up delicious pancakes. They didn't have waffle houses that they could go to and for a very affordable price, smash like 1,800 calories. So it, those things obviously come as a blessing and a curse. Pop-Tarts are a blessing and a curse, right? They, they play their part in society. They have their place. Um, but it should be much more limited than it is. But you can kind of see what I'm saying there. So you have kind of this like great opportunity, right? They, nobody before us had the opportunity to build muscle and get fit the way we do in these modern gyms. It's incredible, right? My gym has for like $25 a month. This is a result of capitalism. For like $25 a month, I get access to massage chairs. Um, I don't tan because I'm black, but I could if I wanted to. Um, and then all kinds of, I mean, hundreds of machines in the gym, right? From a stair climber that can simulate what people had to actually go do and hike um, to treadmills, to bikes, to rowers, which I had to actually like go on a boat if you wanted to row before, um, to yeah, all kinds of different things, right? And then the weight machines get out of here. It's just tons and tons of options that people didn't have before. And so it's like, what am I doing not being in shape? What am I doing not using those? And so I want to talk about a couple of the things that I think contribute to this. So, oh man. So I'm going to read, I'm not going to read the articles. I'm just, really, I could just read the headlines and you'd be like, wow. We have, <laughs> why do we have any hope in society? <laughs> so maybe I should read them. I'm trying to look at when they were released in order of release date. This one's the most recent. This one was like from yesterday. All right, so uh, racism and obesity are inextricably linked, says a Harvard doctor, and here's how she thinks that can change. Quote from this doctor, the two most common forms of bias in the United States are race bias, which is by far the most common, followed by weight bias. Um, I'm not biased towards many. I'm somewhat biased towards people that have like blue hair and stuff like that. I'll admit that when I see somebody with blue hair and like 
dressed weird, I assume they're an idiot. I don't assume necessarily like anything upon their soul. I do assume that they voted for Biden. Um, but I assume that they're just kind of generally, I, I, assume, I assume they're dumb to a certain degree. And so I don't know why I felt the need to say that, but I just wanted to express, you know, I feel like this is a safe space for me to open up about my own bias. And I think people who get really, really wacky hair and dress really weird, I just kind of assume that they have a shallow intellect. So there's another form of bias. And that's what I would like to see as the leading bias in the country. But unfortunately, it's not. Um, so according, at least according to this one, this doctor who says that racism is a leading bias, I think we should replace that with hair color bias. Anyways, so you can see this doctor's name is Dr. Fatima Cody Stanford. Tragic that her name is Fatima, right? Somewhere along the line, either they just thought it was a cool name or her parents actually cared about the Blessed Virgin Mary. And typically people who don't, people who care about the Blessed Virgin Mary are not raising people that are this, um, yeah, just this dumb, this dumb. So systemic racism plays a significant, this is back to the article, this is not my thoughts. Systemic racism plays a significant role when it comes to black indigenous people of color experiencing obesity, according to a recent article by two experts from Harvard. Experts, what a classic word, right? I mean, if I could tell you the number of times I've gotten in debates with people who claim that they're experts, this, this, like, this is where college has ruined America, right? If you just have the degrees, you become an expert and you can be dumber than shit and still be quoted as an expert in something like boston.com, which is where this comes from. So they're basically saying obesity is a manifestation of systemic racism. It's a 10 point strategy for study and intervention by Dr. Fatima Cody Stanford and Dr. Daniel Aaron. Okay. Now, understand that Dr. Stanford is an obesity medicine physician, scientist, policymaker, and educator who works at Harvard Medical School in Massachusetts General Hospital. Dr. Daniel Aaron is an attorney with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, a fellow at Harvard Law, and a member of the Justice Initiative, a partnership between Harvard Law and Howard University School of Law that works towards racial justice. Now, I mean, yeah. Now, one of my favorite things I've ever seen, I want to say it was Will Witt, but I'm not positive. I, it might have been somebody else. I saw this great video one time that was going around asking like, uh, you know, middle class white people, do you think uh, fat people or do you think <laughs> do you think black people are, have higher rates of obesity because of racism? And almost all of them say yes. And they're like, do you think black people? I mean, it was this is some of the most disrespectful shit I had seen in a long time. They're like, do you think black people know how to buy healthy food and know what food's healthy for? And they were like, no, I don't. I mean, it was like they talked about black people like they had mental handicaps. It was wild. White person after white person after white person on the streets of New York. Then they went to Harlem and asked, uh, you know, black people in Harlem, what do you think? Why do you think uh, black people are overweight? And they were like, because they make bad food choices and they're not exercising. It was all about choice. The other one was about racism and bias. Now, that's one that's one cause of it, right? You're, you're seeing that. We're, we're blaming obesity on other causes, on other things, right? Mainly on progressive woke things or woke talking points. Now, this next article is from last or from June of 2021. That was from April of 2021. This is from June. That says fat shaming by doctors, family, classmates is a global, a global health problem. Studies find. Fat shaming by doctors. 
Now that's one of the most interesting ones, right? Because this is where you get into, I love, you know, I love these analogies. The fat shaming by doctor's line is very similar to transphobia by mental health counselors who just try to dig a little deeper into a um, gender dysphoric child or adult, right? That comes to them and says, uh, a boy comes to them, let's say a 12-year-old boy comes to them and says, I'm a girl. And they say, okay, let's talk about that a little bit. Let's go through this. Let's work it out. Let me learn more about you. Let me understand this. Even if they're like pro-trans, some of them just want to like, hey, this is a big decision if we're going to like, you know, start lopping body parts off. So maybe we should talk through this a little bit just to really make sure that you're not going to regret this because there's no going back and you're a child, right? And so uh, you see that oftentimes called uh, transphobic, right? If you put up any opposition. Now, doctors who, uh, we've gotten to the point now where doctors who talk about obesity, talk about the need to lose weight, are now fat shaming, right? If you talk about anything other than accepting your body for what it is, no matter if you're grotesquely obese, then it's like, nope, you're fat shaming. And this is a large part, I think, of, and it's a large part, not the full part, because the full part, I think, is much more um, dark than this, but a large part of why we couldn't, during the uh, the great lockdowns of 2020 and the things that caused that, why we couldn't blame or point out the fact that like three quarters of the people who died were obese. It was a huge leading factor in people who died from uh, the Rona. And so... Uh, stigma is an enemy to health, says this person, who is the deputy director at Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at the University of Connecticut. And just like mental health, weight stigma is a quote. And just like mental health, weight stigma is a legitimate public health issue, and we need to legitimize it in a way that really hasn't been done yet. Uh, loved ones create lasting damage. So if you're a loved one of someone, you can't come up to them and be like, "Hey, I think maybe you should lose some weight." Um, so this is, this is fun. So it says, uh, you might suspect, wait, wait, let me read the stat here. It says between 76 and 88% of the people surveyed had experienced weight shaming from a parent, sibling, or other family member, mostly during childhood and adolescence. Now, obviously that's a problem, especially if you're a parent making fun of your kid for being fat, especially because it's your fault if your kids are fat as a parent, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so so you can you can kind of get the vibe here. So anything that works into um, trying to help people lose weight. Um, so so here's a here's a big here's a big thing of it. Uh, let me read this stat to you. This is a study found that uh, there's this study um, published Tuesday in the Journal of Plus One. I don't know. I don't know where it all came from. But anyways, it says that this is a quote from the article. The study found between 63% and 74% of people surveyed in Australia, Canada, France, Germany, the UK, and the US felt belittled because of their weight while visiting a doctor for healthcare. In all six countries, people who internalized that stigma or blamed themselves for their weight were more likely to avoid healthcare, the study found. Now, this, this really gets to the heart of the issue. They felt belittled. Not their doctors said something disrespectful to them. Not their doctors were rude. Unlike the part in the article earlier where it talked about family members, it doesn't say the doctors were calling them thunder thighs. As you know, most doctors are very professional and very matter-of-fact about the stuff that they see. 
they're scientists. They're supposed to be matter of fact and, and blunt and direct with you because there's no benefit to your physical health, which is really the only thing they're there to give a shit about. Um, if, if they have to like lollygag and dance around the issue. And so this, this idea of feeling belittled feelings. Yes. If my doctor came to me and says, you have to lose a little weight, there's 0%. I'm surprised the percentage isn't higher. 0% of people feel comfortable in that moment. 0% are like, I feel really good about myself right now, but that's not your doctor's job. Your doctor's job is to help you stay alive. Now, if you are somebody who is that emotionally distraught because you're obviously overweight and your doctor tells you you need to lose weight and that they're going to help you and they're going to give you a plan to do it, and you're so wrecked by that that you're like, but my mental health is just taking a dive because of this, you you are 100% of the problem. That is my... That is my firm belief. <laughs> if you are such a mental teddy bear that you, knowing the reality because you put on your pants every day, you see yourself naked every day, you know that you're overweight, your doctor tells you you're overweight, and you're, instead of being driven by your love for your kids or your spouse or your grandchildren and a desire to live a long, healthy life, instead of being driven by a desire to honor God through your body and make the most of, of everything he's given to you, including your body, Instead of being driven and moved by all of that, right, to want to be a better example to your kids or to other people around you and, and, and using that to not be mediocre and to actually try to lose weight, you just take it as my doctor was mean because they told me the truth and now I'm sad and so I'm going to go eat my feelings. Yeah, it's hard to imagine there's a ton of virtue in a person's life like that. Okay. All right, so the next article is January 26, 2023. So this is new, but we got our friend Dr. Stanford's coming back, baby, because she has been, as you can imagine, as a black doctor who works at Harvard and says woke stuff, she was selected by the Biden administration. So congratulations, Dr. Stanford. You joined the ranks of some of the greatest people of all time, like Kamala Harris, like Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson, as somebody who's going to now be a professional idiot on a higher scale with more influence thanks to your gender and race. I wish I had a trophy to give her. So this quote, uh, the, or the article title from the New York Post, says, physician who claimed obesity can't be treated with diet and exercise joins the Biden administration. How about that line? Physician who claimed obesity cannot be treated with diet and exercise joins Biden administration. I don't see why not. You know, one thing you can't say about that line, that sentence right there, is that it's incoherent or that it's inconsistent, right? I mean, woman who can't tell you what a woman is joins Supreme Court as appointed by Biden administration. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this adds up. And then you have a doctor who says that there's nothing you can do about obesity, that diet and fitness won't help. She joins the Biden administration. They're just, I mean, you want to talk about our best and brightest leading us. I present you with the Biden administration. So this is a 60 minutes interview earlier this month uh, in early January um, that she came under fire for basically saying all these things. And she said the number one cause of obesity is genetics. And if you listen to Ben Shapiro and Matt Walsh, they both talked about this this week. Um, she, she goes on to say, quote, that means that if you were born to parents that have obesity, 
you have a 50 to 85% likelihood of having the, the disease yourself, even with optimal diet, exercise, sleep management, stress management, she added. Now, now listen. Listen, my friends, listen to me. I'm no doctor, okay? I'm not. I'm not a doctor. I don't know if you know this. I know you probably listen to me and you're like, man, this guy's really smart. He must be a doctor. I'm not a doctor, okay? In this thing here, let's, let's, let's dissect this sentence. If you were born to parents that have obesity, you have a 50 to 85% likelihood of having the disease yourself. Up to that point, I'm good because that's probably true. And why would that be true? Just from rational common sense, there is no study needed to dissect this, right? From rational common sense, you have a more than 50% chance of being obese if your parents are obese because of the fact when I was in my parents' home, and I assume the same will be the true for my kids. It'll probably be truer for my kids because we'll do be more intentional with family dinners. You eat the same things that your parents eat. Eight-year-olds don't do their own grocery shopping. They don't have a good understanding of nutrition. They're not turning down Pop-Tarts and Eggo waffles because they're like, you know what? I've just kind of been really heavy on the carbs and sugar lately. I think I'm going to opt for some fruit, just some fruit, eggs, and, and sausage this morning. They don't do that. Why? Because they're children. This is extraordinarily interesting because, again, you can make a parallel here to the gender ideology where it says that a seven-year-old can choose their own gender. And what we're saying is that, no, kids actually are very, very reliant on, your, on their parents to, to guide them, to provide them with an opportunity in an environment where they can thrive. And we have to be willing to tell them the truth and to guide them through that and to provide them with resources and the fuel and the things that they need to be successful and to thrive. This acts like these autonomous children who get to make all their decisions on their own, including what gender they are, are choosing what they eat and that they have this, you act like a child is an adult here. And this is where the left and progressives really get into being called groomers because there's this constant attributing to children the intellect, the mental capacity, and the rights and choices that adults have. And that's where it gets really weird and really creepy. But anyways, I just kind of took that. I, I do think that's the same line of thought that leads to people like this. Obviously, she's pro-gender uh, transitioning for kids if she's being selected by the Biden administration, taught at Harvard, and is this woke of a doctor. So again... If you're born to parents that have obesity, you have a 50 to 85% likelihood of having the disease yourself. If you had said to me, how, how, what percentage of kids do you think who have obese parents are obese themselves? I probably would have said 75% because why wouldn't it be, right? The only thing you might have for yourself as a kid is if they're running outside and playing while their parents sit inside on the couch and do nothing. But oftentimes, if your parents sit inside on the couch and do nothing, you're going to do the same thing. More and more kids are doing that. More video games, more TV, more screen time. So you're seeing them replicate the lifestyle because that's what kids do. We literally learn from mimicking other human animals. That's like how we live our lives. Now, the second part of the sentence is where you lose me, Dr. Stanford, even with optimal diet, exercise, sleep management, and stress management. Now, listen to me. She didn't say even with an improved diet, exercise. She said even with optimal I feel confident in believing and saying that if you have optimal diet, exercise, sleep, and stress management, you're, there's, there's a zero, 
there's a zero percent chance you are obese. Zero. If you have optimal, meaning, I just looked up the definition, best or most favorable. If you have the best diet, exercise, sleep management, and stress management, zero percent of the people with the optimal are, are obese. Zero. It is a it is a zero. The number is zero. And so, yeah, come on, that makes no sense. And so she's basically just saying, yeah, if your if your family was obese, then we got to change how we have to do. And so then the interviewer said, are you saying that doctors don't understand obesity? Doctors, question mark. And Stanford answered, doctors do not understand obesity. Stanford confirmed. Wow. Um, yeah. So pretty crazy. Uh, yeah. And then obviously COVID lockdowns and stuff did nothing for helping us to... Um, to help us, right? So here's some different stats by the CDC. It says, um, reading the article, it says her comments coincide with an uptick in the disease in recent years, with the CDC reporting that the percentage of obese Americans shifted to 41.9% in 2020 from 30.5% in 2017. Even more concerning statistics from Harvard University's uh, Harvard University indicate 43 million preschool-aged children were obese in 2010 worldwide and the numbers have been on a steady incline since the 1990s if nothing is done to reverse the epidemic more than 1 billion adults are projected to be obese by 2030 the page reads now you'll notice in other countries around the world people are much less obese than we are in the u.s but what do we do in the u.s to combat it we don't say hey maybe we should change our diet maybe we should be you know more intentional with this stuff we just say we should accept it and understand that it's because of racism and genetics and so let's just be nicer to fat people. Oh, man. So going back to physical excellence, we obviously, you know, believe if you believe in this mind, body, soul approach, you can't neglect this. This is something, again, that I said at the beginning. I've seen neglected by many, many faithful Catholics, whether they be lay or um, religious, whether they be uh, male or female, even, even those who are kind of like in shape uh, many in shape, like male and female, not in shape, but many like thin male and female Catholics. And you know who I'm talking about on both sides. Just don't care about exercising. They just, they just don't care about it at all. They're just like perfectly down to just be sticks or just be super, super scrawny or just be thin and not exercise. Now, some of the biggest benefits I've seen in exercise in my life is uh, nothing prepared me for ranger school, like my physical training. And while your physical training only helps you for like the first two weeks because by the, the third week, you're pretty much starved. I lost 20 pounds in 21 days in the first phase of ranger school. Okay. Um, and so I dropped down from like two oh, I was like 203 going into actual ranger school and I lost down to 183. Now, mind you, I was 22 when I went to ranger school. And I graduated from high school at 17 at 185. So I was thin, man. I was really, really scrawny. Um, and so I basically lost all the muscle that I had worked to, to gain, right? Not all of it, obviously, but a lot of it. But one thing that the fitness and training and the long runs and the hard workouts did for me was increase my re mental resilience, my mental toughness, my mental fortitude to be able to push myself to do things that I don't want to do. 
I often say one of my favorite catch lines is life is all about learning to do the things you have to do even when you don't feel like doing them. Nothing helps you better than that in that than uh, fitness. There's no more tangible way to understand the journey of personal growth and development, the struggles and the setbacks, the obstacles and the resistance that you face in life than through fitness. I truly believe that because you heard all the different things that um you know, are, are the ways that I kind of made these analogies in the spiritual life, in in mental excellence, right? There's plenty of analogies that come from this. And your body is meant to teach you about your soul, about yourself, about your mind. And you can find in yourself, if you're somebody that you go to the gym and you can only go one or two times and then you quit or you go and you have a plan, but you don't stick to the plan or you quit on the workout, you're going to quit in life when it gets hard. That's how it works, man. You have to develop this uh, resilience. Discipline in one area is discipline in all areas. Either you're a disciplined person or you're not. I don't believe that there's a, such a thing as being disciplined in one area and then completely being reckless in others, right? So think about this. Think about all the different areas of your life that this impacts, right? And so it can affect your marriage. It can affect your ability to date and to find a spouse. This doesn't mean you need to be scrupulous and obsessed over it, right? It doesn't mean I have to try to have a perfect body, but it does mean, and I'll get into to what physical excellence can look like, that I should be striving for excellence in this area of my life, right? And because it's going to feed into all these other areas. Again, going back to the stat that I read at first, an extra $1,500 a year for medical costs um, for people who are obese than people who are of a healthy weight, right? Think about the $150 billion it costs us in taxpayer money, so the burden that you're putting on uh, your other citizens, right? Um yeah, it just, I mean, the financial strain, the all this stuff, it's its really, really rough. And so you want to be preventative in this. You want to take it seriously. You want to understand how this affects your spiritual life. And, and, and that should be enough motivation to want to do it. So what does it actually look like? As you know, as we're going through spiritual excellence, I'm giving you uh, subcategories that you can kind of rate yourself on in every pillar. And so the subcategories for physical excellence, super simple, fitness, diet, and rest. And so I want you to rate yourself or to think about it in your head or write it down if you're really serious about it. Where do you rate your current lifestyle in these three areas from one to 10? If you want to get a little bit more specific, do one to 20. Fitness, diet, and rest. How would you rate yourself? And you use your own scale, right? What you need to figure out and what the whole point of this entire series is, is you figuring out what's a 10 in each of those categories, right? In, in each of the seven pillars, you should have a, in, in the subcategories, you should have what's a 10 in each one of these. So that when I'm rating myself, when I'm evaluating myself once a quarter or at the end of the year, I can say, wow, I really sucked at this last year and I need to get back on it. I need to get my life together. And so let's look at um, the fitness basics. So we're going to kind of dive into the subcategory of fitness, right? And so what are some of the benefits of fitness? Um, I've talked about a little bit of them, but mental toughness, discipline, um, others that are listed here that I found online prevents cognitive decline. And so it can prevent your cognitive decline. This one I'm a big believer in. Uh, you see this increase in Alzheimer's and, and all these like old, you know, late stage medical issues um, of people who are not physically active. And I get it. I have a lot of people I've seen in my life and that I know, friends, family, whatever, who have said to me, who, who believe that being active, like cleaning your house is the same as exercise. It's not in today's world. Like, yes, that was useful back in the day when people were doing it 
for very long periods of time when you had to freaking carry the pails of water when we're carrying the pails of water from the well to the house. But I don't think that that cleaning the house, I think that it's 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 tiring, it's physically tiring. I don't think it's the same as fitness. And I think that you need to have a well-balanced fitness approach, which means you're working on muscular strength, endurance, um, cardiovascular fitness, power, flexibility. Um, all of that is really important. And you just uh, like doing backbreaking work that includes no warm-up, no rest, no uh, nutrition, no stretching, none of that stuff doesn't count as much. All right. And then other benefits, significantly lowers risk of diabetes and heart disease, decreased stress and anxiety, better sleep and increased energy, higher self-esteem. That's one of the ones I think is most slept on. Um, obviously, you know, there's all the stats you hear about the, the hormones and things that are released while you're exercising that really help decrease stress and anxiety. Most people who are really into fitness, that's one of their go-to things if they're stressed or kind of going through a rough time in life is they want to work out. Um, that's been true for me. I know I get the, the runners. I hate, I don't even like running. Right. But when I force myself to go running after a while, I do start to get the runners high. I do start to get feeling better about myself when I'm working out and I'm starting to lift heavier weights and I'm starting to see my body develop and grow and change. And so it gives you higher self-esteem, which leads to less stress and anxiety oftentimes as well. All right. So some of the fitness basics, I mentioned some of them, muscular endurance, balance, agility, cardiovascular fitness, power, coordination, speed, strength, and flexibility. And so, you know, I try to take this well-balanced approach. And one of the things that I really try to do is, um, one of the things I took pride on when I was in the army is I would say, if a person's stronger than me, I'm faster than them. If they're faster than me, I'm stronger than them. And so that I wanted there to be nobody who could beat me on all the things, right? And so, yeah, the PT test I could kind of lose on because you had some people who weren't actually stronger than me that might be able to beat me at like push-ups, right? Um, I usually struggled with the run when it came to the PT test. So back then, the PT test was the physical uh, fitness test, the APFT for Army Physical Fitness Test for the full length, was actually based on uh, just three things. It was push-ups, sit-ups, and a two-mile run. And so I struggled with the run the most. And when I say struggle with the run, I just struggled to max it. So it was always under 13 minutes. Uh, for two miles and i was always like in that kind of 13 to thirteen thirty category until late later and later on but uh throughout college in my first couple years in the army that's kind of where i sat and so that was kind of my approach right Is, and that's kind of what i want to get back to that's what i strive to because i'm somebody that i'm naturally a little bit thicker right you, even when i was like 225 people thought i weighed like 210 205 maybe even 200 pounds right i've always been the type of person that people look at me and they think i weigh less than i do um, but I'm also a bigger dude, right? I'm not going to be some scrawny long distance runner. I have no desire to be that. Um, and that's okay if that's what you want to be, right? I, I just, I appreciate excellence in whatever form you choose to do, right? You think of like somebody like David Goggins, he's a, an ultra runner, but he still lifts weights. He does a ton of pull-ups. He's not physically weak in his upper body. And that's what I think you should strive for. It's like, even if you're going to be, if you're going to excel in one of those, right? You want to go into strength or you want to go into running. You don't care about somebody's faster or stronger than you, whatever then I think that um, you still have to balance some of the other one, right? I don't. I also think that you have a bunch of guys who get really thick and, and are basically obese but are really strong and they do no cardio. I'm like, what's the point of that at, at 30? I don't understand it. I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. You're not functionally fit. You really can't even fight or defend anybody at that stage. All you can really do is push and block like a freaking lineman. Um, but yeah, I don't understand what it, what, what, what it means to be just like a – a massive blob that can't that can't move, and so you want to have this kind of balanced approach to it. Um, 
And so for me, you know, some of my insights to fitness, and if you've listened to fitness episodes in the past, which are some of our most um, successful episodes, uh, most listened to episodes, uh, you've heard, you might have heard me say this before. My approach when I'm trying to get back into shape, so that I'm talking to people who are trying to get back into the gym. I'm currently right now trying to lose weight again. So since my injury, really since getting out of the army, I've kind of struggled, but I, I really never got to a point where it was like bad until my injury when I tore my Achilles and couldn't walk basically for three months. And I got all the way up to like 255. I weighed 255 pounds. It was wild. Um, and I lost weight back before the honeymoon. Before I got married, I got down to like 222, 223, which is a pretty good spot for me. Um, my goal is 215, but 215 to 225 is kind of my like okay zone. Um, 215 and below would be like really excellent, right? It would be like kind of the high, the high point. Um, right now, uh, the over the holidays, I got back up to like 244. Um, and now I'm back down to like 235 and working my way back to like 215, which I hope to be at 220-ish um, at the end of Exodus 90. Now, what happened last year? We went on our honeymoon for 10 days, just ate like crap, stuffed our faces, um, and came right back, got pregnant, and then traveled a bunch, and then the miscarriage. And so all of that, I basically had like two months of no workouts and just started slowly gaining weight again. Um, which was obviously not great. And so when I'm trying to get back into the gym, when I'm trying to get back into shape, what I do typically is I focus on doing the things that are more natural to me. So if you like running or cardio or playing basketball, which is an easy way for me to get cardio in, I love playing basketball. When I play basketball, I burn like a thousand calories because I can't not be competitive. And so I push myself to get my heart. My heart rate's like at 182 sometimes, right? Because I'm just going so hard. That's that's a great way to kind of trick myself into doing great cardio. So I signed up for Catholic Sports Basketball League. I signed up for coaching basketball, and I run with the boys when they're running, and I play with them. Um, so things like that can help, right? Uh, the other thing that I do is I like to lift weights. I like to do what we call bro lifting. I like doing curls, shoulder presses, bench press, squatting. Um, that's what I like to do. I like to bro lift. So that's what I'll go to the gym and do. I don't go to the gym and make myself run for 30 minutes or whatever. I go to the gym to get myself there to do the things that I think are fun. And that's what kind of gets me back into it. Now, again, you find your things that you think are more enjoyable that start getting you active again. And in the meantime, you start to slowly clean up your diet, right? And that's going to be kind of my next step. So keys to a healthy diet, intentionality and planning. One of the worst things you can do if you know this, if you've ever tried to diet before, is that if you are just freestyling it, you're going to eat shit, right? So you have to be intentional and plan. We are at our absolute best when during that board meeting that we have on Sundays, Emily makes a plan for every dinner we're going to have that week. And she sits down and she plots out the grocery list for that. And she goes and gets the groceries. She crushes that for us most of the time. And when she does it, that's when we both eat like crap. <laughs> Self-control is the second one, right? So even if I don't have anything or if I'm out and I'm hungry, to have the discipline to go home and make a smoothie or just have a sandwich or um, you know, eat breakfast at home versus getting the McDonald's breakfast sandwich. Super, super helpful to have that kind of delayed gratification. This is one of my biggest things when it comes to eating um, that I started to see with myself was uh, gluttony when it's tied with anger is like one of the worst things I think I've ever seen. And so I've seen this in, in men in my life and women, but especially with men um, who just let themselves go over life, over time, and they end up being overweight. And if you've ever seen somebody who is so impatient to eat that they start getting angry at the people around them. There's just utterly no virtue in that. And so when you're coming from somebody who 
at Ranger School lost 20 pounds in 21 days, I understand what it's like to be hungry. And I understand what it's like to have to make decisions and to strive to still be a leader and be an example to other people when you're hungry. And I get it in myself when, I, when I'm trying to fast, if I'm doing like a 24-hour fast, even when I'm trying to get back into intermittent fasting and stuff like that. Um, it can be a struggle, right? To be kind to people, to be patient. <laughs> even, even sometimes like I ate this morning, even though I wasn't super hungry before podcasting, because I know oftentimes like my mental capacity, literally my intellect, when I'm not fasting regularly, um, my, like the first few days, it's just rough. Like I just, I'm not there. Like it, I, I've seen myself with guests. I've seen myself in solo episodes where I get talking and I'm just like, man, I feel like my brains are like 60% right now. And if you know me, you know, I'm not that smart. So I need all 100% or at least as close to that as I can get. And so I ate today for you. I ate for you. I sacrificed for you. So I hope you appreciate it. Other things, accountability. So being in marriage, I mean, it's super helpful, right? Because we eat dinner together. And so there is kind of that like increase almost pressure, right? We can, we can either go really bad together. If I suggest Emily that we get ice cream or we go to Chick-fil-A or whatever, she's down, right? But there's also on the other side where if like, she's got her uh, gestational diabetes test coming up. And so we're trying to eat healthier because after the holidays, we both had gained weight and we're like, okay, let's be, let's start to clean it up a little bit. So you can also kind of have that synergy and working together. Now you can do something similar if you have roommates. When I was training for Ranger School, I lived with my homie, my best friend, Bob Doherty. Um, and we did that for each other. So we would cook dinner together. Now we weren't cooking, we weren't crushing it, but we were at least making sure that we weren't just eating like pizza and McDonald's every night. But we were far from... Uh, Chef Curry with a pot, if you know what I'm saying. The next thing is budgeting. So you got a budget for this. You have, I mean, when we got married, especially with Emily with all her daggone allergies, man, we had to budget for uh, groceries. And it, and especially in today's world where it's like $8 for a dozen eggs, um, you got a budget. You got to budget that in and you have to make it a, a priority. And you have to make similar to budgeting for your gym membership, right? That has to be a non-negotiable part of your budget. And then fasting and discipline. You want to be somebody who's fa- able to fast, who's able to be disciplined. Think, think of like, this, this kind of goes back to like, think of people who get angry while they're waiting for their food or if, they get, if their dinner time gets pushed back. One, you're not a toddler, right? So don't be one. Kids cry and, and throw a fit and throw temper tantrums when they're hungry. You're called not to be a jackass. So don't be one. Going along with that, we're called to fast. We're called to fast on a regular basis. Not meaning you have to fast, you know, three days a week. But Catholics, the saints... I mean, most of the saints fasted. It was a pretty big part of Catholicism for a long time. And then we've gotten really, really lax on it. Even think about doing the no meat Fridays. Like so many people don't do that anymore. Um, But fasting, skipping meals, skipping parts of your meal, um, and actually experiencing hunger and offering that up for prayer intention or just for your own asceticism and your own uh, spiritual development is huge. And think about the way Jesus talked about fasting. He talked about the Pharisees who go out there and uh, make a fool of themselves and make sure the entire world knows that they're fasting. And uh, they make their faces sullen and sad and mark themselves up and act all ridiculous. Jesus says you should be able to like be experiencing internal pain, the pain of hunger, and still be virtuous and, and make it seem as though you're not fasting, right? So think think of how opposite that is of sloth and gluttony where it's like that leads to anger, where it's like I am angry that I haven't been able to eat or whatever. We just we let our bodies have too much control over us. And that's what fitness and diet can really do for you. It's to help you not do that. So going back to what I was talking about, you you start to clean up your diet as you're doing the fitness and the activities that most come naturally to you, right? If you need to sign up for a softball league or whatever, get your ass out of your house, get off your butt, 
Find a friend at work that you can go on a walk with at lunchtime. Figure that stuff out because you have to be active. You have to get up and get moving. And then you start to clean up your diet a little bit. Now, for me, my process always, once I start to see some progress and some growth, that's when I get really motivated. That's when I, you know, I have kind of like ballparks for myself or check marks um, <laughs> for when I'm doing this stuff. So as I'm going, you know, on this weight loss journey, when I get down to like below 230 or, or down to 225, I'm going to allow myself to start doing more protein and start uh, pre-workout. And my workouts will get to shift a little bit because then I'll be in a place where I can actually start to lift weights again and um, focus on that. And so that's something that's really important is understand that over time you start to add to it. Maybe you just go to the gym two times a week and you're just starting to kind of get yourself in the routine. Sometimes I go to the gym and it's just about going. I just go and I, I work out for 30 minutes and it's a crappy workout by, you know, five years ago, Nathan's standards. But I'm like, at least I got here. It's better than not going, even if you only have a short period of time, right? Um, last part of physical excellence is you want to think about your sleep. And so impactful sleep hygiene practices. Um, obviously, there's some some huge benefits to this. Also will help you to reduce stress. But things you want to do, get up and go to sleep at the same time. This is something that I find really difficult, especially on the weekends, is getting up at the same time. I don't like to. I really like to sleep in at least one day a week. Um, but I know that they say there's a lot of benefits to that. So we do generally try to stay on that. Today's a Saturday, and I woke up at 6.30 this morning because Emily had to go to work. Create a healthy sleep environment. So blackout curtains can be really big on this. Trying to make it as minimally quiet as possible. Turn off electronics an hour before bed. This is really, really important. Stop staring at screens right before you go to bed. That's dumb. Avoid large fatty meals prior to sleeping. Um, exercise also helps you to sleep better. Establishing a nighttime routine. Do you read or pray or meditate or just turning off your phone, right? Getting into bed, um, and relaxing, you know, limiting your caffeine, especially in the afternoon or evenings, so that you can get better sleep at night is really, really important. Okay. So all of this entails your physical excellence. So I want you thinking about these different categories and areas, your fitness, your diet, and your rest. Where would you rate yourself from one to 10? Who would be a good accountability partner to help you to grow in this area? And how can you um, benefit from these things, reducing your stress and anxiety, increasing your self-esteem, increasing your relationships, improving them. Um, you make new friends. You might meet new people at the gym or at fitness classes or at CrossFit or whatever it might be, right? And you're going to meet like-minded people who want to better themselves. And so you don't have to have, I feel like the, the idea, you know, when it comes back to fat shaming and stuff like that is this idea that you have to be rude or look down upon people who are overweight or who are at the beginning of the journey. I love seeing somebody who's overweight um, at the gym. I was I don't love it as much in January because I kind of think it's bullshit. But if it's in July, man, I'm super proud of them. I'm like, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're trying. You're getting back on it. And you and me both are in the same spot. I'm trying to lose weight. You're trying to lose weight. I'm trying to get stronger. You're trying to get stronger. I want to be able to run around with my kids. you know. And, and that's something that's really, really important to me. There was times in my life um, where family and, and people weren't able to run around with me, play basketball with me, do the things that I, I wanted to do. And I went to the gym and I saw the dad's who played at men's league with their sons who were 18 years old, 19 years old, and they were playing pickup together. And I thought it was super cool. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to be playing with that boy that's in my wife's womb right now. I want to be hooping with him um, and playing pickup with him and, and teaching him how to play and running around with him in the backyard at the park and all that kind of stuff. So I don't want to be overweight. I don't want to be a slothful, gluttonous father. That, that's like my biggest motivation. And that can be so good, you know, to understand what you don't want to be. And, and understanding that more than understanding what you do want to be. There's a lot of times when I have a gut 
as I do right now, it's like I'll touch it and I'll feel it and I'll say that I'm fat and I'll say that I hate that my pants don't fit. I'm not buying new pants. I'm not doing this. Like I need to lose the weight. I need to get my shit together and get back on the grind. And that's, you know, having a kid has been super inspirational for me for that. Um, and so I'm really excited for that. So I hope that this is helpful for you. And if you want more resources, I actually found a great resource today. Um, and they're in Denver, which is super cool. I was looking up, you know, just some Catholic thoughts on this while I ate breakfast this morning. Um, and I found this article by the National Catholic Register from, this is from like three and a half years ago. Uh, but it's faith and fitness, how exercise and workouts can build virtue. And it's a cool thing, but I found this website in here and uh, called Swole Catholic. And I went on Instagram today and they followed me. And so I followed them back, which is cool. Um, the guy who started his last name is McDonald, which is kind of ironic. Um, but he seems like a great dude. And he's in Denver, which is super cool. But if you go to SwoleCatholic.com, that's S-W-O-L-E Catholic.com, you can see some cool stuff. And one of my favorite things about this website is something that I wanted to have on Seeking Excellence that we're working towards is having more resources. So they have like Catholic sports listed here. My boy, Dakota Lane. If you've never heard an episode with Dakota Lane last fall, I encourage you to go check that out next. Um, but you can find him at dakotalanefitness.com. Uh, they got Priest Fit, Soul Core, all these different things in different areas that are good resources for you. And so I'd highly encourage you if you want to reach out and get a, a nutrition plan, an exercise program, dude, hit up my boy Dakota, dakotalanefitness.com. Dakota's got some great stuff. You can see his reviews and the transformations people have gone through especially his own transformation over the years is incredible. I mean, he has taken people from zero to hero, man, and you could be next. He's done some really, really cool stuff. He's been on the real life Catholic show with Chris Stefanik and um, been on the seeking excellence podcast. More importantly, obviously, uh, and just done some really, really great stuff. So I highly encourage you to check him out. And lastly, one more plug, come join us at locals, talk about this stuff more deeply, get motivated each and every day with more content and I know you, dude, 400, I was getting like 400 listens on um, my weekly roundups back in the day when I was doing those on Fridays. And I want to encourage you to uh, come and check us out on Locals. I want to go over the, I basically try to do in the, the weekly roundups. I want to go over the news for the week so that you don't have to listen to all the negative stuff that happens all week. Let me embody and embrace the negativity for you. That is my goal. That's my dream for you. I want to just just take in as much negativity as humanly possible. And so I do that for you because I'm a sacrificial lamb, but I do it truly and try to, you know, put together all this kind of stuff so I can, uh, yeah, give an overview and give some insight onto what happened with Pope Francis in the AP, uh, interview that he did last week and what happened with the Arkansas, Arkansas laws that are progressing against, um, drag shows for kids and things like that. And the progress that, uh, different schoolmakers are making for a school choice. I actually think Arkansas was school choice and Arizona was making progress against the uh, drag shows for kids. And so, yeah, I encourage you to check that out. If this episode was helpful for you, if you would share that with somebody else, that'd be super great. I'd be really appreciative of that. We're having a great year this year. I'm really excited. We're getting to, um, I'm trying to get 100,000 plays in this year alone. We just crossed that for all time. I'm also trying to get, as I said, 100 members on local. So if you could go, if you're one of the OGs of Seeking Excellence, which I know many of you are out there, I highly encourage you to come join us at locals. Even if you just create an account and join, it helps me out. It helps me to have more abilities on there. And then if you find it in your heart that you want to help support the podcast and help me to get better equipment so I can have higher quality video content so that I can have a better studio set up so that uh, I can pay the people who help me with Seeking Excellence, 
that would be really great because you know I'm not a socialist and I don't try to ask people to do things for free. And I've been doing that for too long. So thanks for your support. Please pray for me. Know of my prayers for you. And may God bless you. And I hope that you continue to fight hard to be your best. God bless.